right, we're back at it again here uh, with one of uh, the most liked figuratively and social media literally uh, people that I know, uh, a good friend of Mike's and a friend of mine, Anya M.A. Aquari, who I actually had to pronounce get him to say his last name pronunciation because i feel like anya is really like the drum cultures version of like adele or bono like everybody just knows you by your first name like i don't know what adele's last name is i don't know what bono's last name is i mean it's like it's just anya i mean i mean you had an excuse to not know how to pronounce his last name i marched with him for a whole summer and i had no idea how to properly pronounce it it was just always anya to me i never really thought about but, it or asked but yeah welcome to the podcast man Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And also, I don't think Adele has a last name. I think it's just like Yeah, I think Adele. that's just like a stage name or something. She's got like yeah. Adele and then whatever age she is for her album. Adele, exactly. like 23 or whatever. So, But well, yeah, like it's such a unique name. It's not like, oh, you marched with Mike. And everybody's like, Mike who? Like Mike this, Mike that. It's like, no, you marched with Anya. It's like, oh, yeah, I know exactly <laughs> who you're talking about. Yeah. That's, that's definitely funny. the only Anya I've ever met or heard about. So. But before we get into the meat and potatoes of this this podcast, uh, welcome everyone to the Aged Out Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Mike Fantini, and with me as always is Evan Moore. And we'll just start this off today, and I think we should let Anya kind of introduce himself and give his background in the drumming activity. You don't need to give us every little detail, but kind of like where you marched, what years you marched there, all that stuff. How you cool. got into music, how you got in a band, whatever. Word. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, so my name is Anye. Um I forgot the question. Oh, background. <laughs> <laughs> um I marched Good start. Right. <laughs> I marched um I guess my first the first place I marched independently outside of high school was Atlanta Quest. And I marched Atlanta Quest from two thousand seven through 2010 and then from 2012 until 2015 so i marched eight years so that's pretty um, local to you though like atlanta quest there in your backyard is that where you went oh, to high school yeah. also in atlanta yeah so the first year that i did quest they had rehearsals at the high school that i went to which was sprayberry high school well, that's convenient. Um, which was it was extremely convenient because for some reason in my head i thought i was gonna like play soccer professionally or something um, so I would literally go from soccer practice and then show up and like mark time in my cleats. <laughs> That's awesome. That's pretty funny. All the housing and facility would have a nightmare over that scenario. Now you got cleats on the gym floor. Oh my gosh. Yeah, exactly. It was, it was bad. Obviously that didn't last because I, I, I didn't go pro. So it is what it is. <laughs> So was that how you found out about Quest, though? Was there, like, a connection between, like, your high school and, like, that independent setting? Yeah, so the the guys who essentially started Atlanta Quest, um, Benjamin Smart, Alan Sears, uh, Larry Summerlin, uh, Anthony Sears, I, I'm, I'm leaving some people out, but Alan, who still runs Quest today, was actually my percussion instructor at Sprayberry, and Quest has, you know, been around since like 2002, and he, you know, he was one of the, he's the one who like started it and whatnot. Um, and I did not know that it's been around that long. It's been Quest has been around for a long time, <laughs> um, and they came out in world class too because I think back then there was like 
I think like seven world class groups or something like that, and like two open groups. So yeah, that's that's a that's a whole other that's a whole other episode I could talk about. Um but yeah, so my sophomore year was when um I heard about it again and he was like, you know, you just might as well just come out, you don't know what's gonna happen. You know, they were coming off of having an active season. Um and I was like, ah, I'm probably not gonna be able to do this anyway. I'm only like fourteen, you know, whatever. Um and that ended up being the first year that I did it. <laughs> So, did you play quads your first year? I did. I was a little skinny 14-year-old kid with a really large head and <laughs> quads that were too big for my body. Aren't quads too big for everyone's body? Oh, gosh. Exactly. <laughs> I almost said the same thing. <laughs> well, that's kind of a funny topic because you didn't play quads always, right? No, well, no, I, I, I think there have been three seasons ever well no four seasons ever of anything that i've marched um where i didn't play quads so i played quads for every year that i marched at Bluecoats between 10 and and 13 um two years in high school that i played snare two years my last two years in high school um in 2007 i filled a trumpet hole at Alliance Drum and Bugle Corps. What? Uh, I did not yeah. know that. You marched trumpet yeah. one summer? Yeah, I held it. I like held the trumpet. I, and I played B flats. <laughs> I like played some pretty solid B flats and that was that was it. Nice. I think my first run of the show was like at prelims. Oh um, my gosh, that's hilarious. So was is Alliance an open class group? Alliance was a DCA core. We were okay. uh, yeah, class A DCA core at the time. Um, and they just needed somebody. That summer I had gone to Nigeria. Um, and I I just I had just gone to Nigeria and I came back, came back like maybe a few weeks before Labor Day. Um, and they just needed somebody to fill the trumpet hole. So it was me. There's this guy named Ross who had just come off tour with Boston. So he's the one who like taught me how to hold the horn. I don't know if you guys remember, like back then. Boston, like when they held their horns, they were huge. Like those guys are like elbows out. You know, every everything was just extremely intense. So there's like this really funny video from prelims where it's like the trumpet line and you know, it's just panning over everybody, and then it's like me and Ross and we're just like <laughs> and then it goes back to everybody else. <laughs> and it's just that is it's, really it's funny. Just ridiculous. Just like absolutely ridiculous. Um anyway, so and then I I then the other year that I did March quads was with Mystique in 2011, where I marched an awesome painted trampoline. <laughs> Dude, how did you get roped into that or called into that? Or how did they find you <laughs> to fill that position? Like, we need someone who's got an intense mantra face and could possibly play this giant trampoline and learn Gosh. this part and do this. <laughs> Man, it's crazy. I so so in 2010, 2011, uh, it was my second year of college, and I to pay for it, I was an RA. I was a resident assistant, and the way that that job worked was I only had, you know, like one free weekend a month essentially. I had like ten days off for the semester, which amounted to about one free weekend a month. So I wasn't going to be able to do indoor. Which sucked because I, you know, I really wanted to do it. Um, but but real life calls sometimes. 
Exactly, exactly. And this was at Mercer. I, I, I didn't have a car. It was just like a lot of things, which is like in Macon. It's about an hour and a half south of Atlanta. Um, but then it was after the February camp at Bluecoats. Um, I got a phone call. I was literally in the car. I think I was in the car with Tim Jackson. I actually don't remember. Uh, but I was in the car with somebody, and I get a phone call from a friend of mine named Tim Norris. And Tim was marching cymbals at the time. And he was like, yo, you're marching Mystique this year. I was like, nah, dog, I'm in, I'm, I'm in Ohio right now. We just, we just had a Bluecoats camp. And he's like, no, just, just wait. Um, so essentially... I think they had had some people come in and like try to get that spot filled. Um, and Josh Nelson and Don click, I think, and I don't know this full story, but they sat everybody down and was like, look, we need a guy who can do this part. You know, they need to be intense. They need to be this, they need to be that. And at the time, um, in the line at the time, I knew like Luke Willingham and drew guy and chase Dickinson and a bunch of other dudes um, who were marching, and they all apparently just like looked at each other and they're like, "Anye, it has to be Anye." <laughs> so yeah, Josh called me like that Wednesday, and I got in the caravan. There's like a Florida ATL caravan, like that weekend, and that was like my first weekend. And I think it was like that weekend, and I got measured, and so, like two weekends after that was like SCGC championships or something or or it was uh it was mid-south it was like oh so pretty much to the year already yeah it was crazy because i didn't remember too obviously that year i was marching um yeah and then i just remember seeing one day i was like oh anya is here i was like what's he doing here and then all of a sudden i was like oh that's funny <laughs> <laughs> i remember yeah, you, i was... remember seeing you in a lot at the midwest regional that year it was uh I I knew of you, but had never met you before or anything. That was before mm. I had met you through Bluecoats, and I just I was like, oh, that's the dude playing the trampoline in the back of their show that we really yeah. want to beat. And then you guys were really good, so <laughs> you yeah, got your gold medal in there. Yeah, crazy. I God, it still doesn't really feel real. Um, apparently, like apparently, it was like not fun before I got there. Not because of me. But, you know, like, just like in, in any season, there's just a point where you just become good, hopefully. Like, I think that happened, like, the day that I got there. Because it wasn't just me that came in that weekend. There was another guy, Daniel Scott, who was a snare player. And he came in and learned the entire show in, like, one weekend. Wow. And they had, like, been done for a while. So it was just, it was crazy. Like, the vibe apparently just completely changed after I've... that weekend all the way through the end of the season. I've heard multiple stories of people coming in and filling holes and learning entire drum corps or indoor shows in a very short period of time. And it's always blown my mind that people can do that. I'm, yes. I don't know if I could do that. I've never been asked to do that. Uh, my gut tells me probably not maybe two or three weekends, <laughs> but I guess the human brain can do a lot when it has to, I guess. So you never know. True. Yeah, true. I, I've never thought about that. Like, if I had to put into that situation, that reminds me of a story of uh, Jared Quartz, like going in when he got the spot at Phantom in 2010, and he learned like the base three spot in like a week. They said for like the whole show, I was like, okay, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's insane. Nuts. But yeah, man, that's cool. So it just kind of worked out. Then you were doing the RA gig, and all of a sudden they needed this spot, and now here you are 
yeah, filling in the show. And that does make sense too. Like when a group kind of fills whole, like if you have holes in a section and you are able to fill the morale of a group, like, Oh, we're, we're a whole piece now. Like, yeah, this feels good. So that makes sense. Yeah. yeah it's crazy. But, uh, so you had the Alliance, uh, it was kind of funny. We were talking before we got this going. I mentioned the spirit thing because I saw you in like a spirit of Atlanta uniform. And I was like, oh, I don't remember him marching spirit. That's cool. We'll talk about that. And then you're like, actually, I did not march spirit. <laughs> Man, yeah. I. It was so funny. Before I decided to audition at, at Blue Coats, there was like a year. I think it was 2008 where Shane Gwaltney had gone to spirit. And was like the caption head and was like arranging. And so a bunch of dudes from like around here ended up marching. And I, I remember, I think I just came across that Facebook status like on my like memories or whatever. And it like, it's like, I wish I was at Spirit right now. And I obviously like didn't go. But um, so then in like 2012, they had like a random gig. It was like a Spirit gig. And I just found myself in this uniform and it just felt crazy. <laughs> Like, like a kid, full kid. circle moment. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Dude, that's yeah. funny. I yeah, I remember that kind of happened to some friends of mine too. The cadets did like an inaugural parade or something for the president. A bunch of people marched cadets parade and then like got cut. <laughs> <It was> <laughs> a little bit different scenario, but right, still funny. Right. Um, yeah. So dude, so, so March spirit. Yeah, <laughs> the hometown core. Right. When was it? You were talking about like 2008 and 2007, obviously Alliance DCA. Was that like your introduction to drum corps or like how did you find out about this mythical activity of drum corps outside of high school band or middle school band or whatever? Well, this is such a vivid memory. So my freshman year of high school, um, we had BOA. At, in like St. Petersburg, Florida. And there was a guy on the quad line, uh, his name is Ray Brown. He asked me if I knew what drum corps was. I was like, no, I don't. He was like, all right, listen to this. And he had like a Walkman with... Yes. I know, it was great. Throwback. <laughs> yeah, some people Walkman. listening to this probably don't know what a Walkman is. I Gosh. It, and, and not even like a, like a Runman, because that, that was the thing. It was like one of those where if you moved it too much, it skipped. So that's... Super throwback. Um, <laughs> and he had the 2000 DCI championship CD. And the first, I mean, the first, I mean, obviously that your Cavaliers won, or I guess they tied, but the first notes of Niagara Falls were my very first introduction into drum corps. It was the loudest thing I'd ever heard in my entire life. It like scared me. And yeah. I just like listen to it over and over and over again. You're like, what is this and how it's is this seriously, happening? Seriously. And it's just like like they just sounded like machines, and little did I know they were the <laughs> the green machines. Yeah, it was insane. Um, and this was also before uh Google bought YouTube. So I then went home and like Google videoed a bunch of drum core stuff, starting with Cavaliers. Watched their show. I watched their 2002 show, um, which I thought was amazing because I'd never seen drill like that. And then I just like kind of fell down a rabbit hole for like six months of just like drum corps. LimeWire was a thing. So I just, yes, <laughs> absolutely. 
I downloaded every drum corps clip that was on LimeWire, which consisted of like every Blue Devil show from like 1992 until like that day. And then like random clips. It was just, it was crazy. I just, that was my first introduction of just like figuring out what the activity was. And then, yeah, we had um, our high school went to DCI Atlanta in 2007. Um, and I, sorry, it was 2008. And I went that day and I saw a bunch of like mystique dudes just like huddled around some, some drum line. And I was like, I don't know what's going on. All, all I knew was like, there were a bunch of like jackets and I was like, Oh, well mystique is really good. So maybe whatever they're hyping, I'm going to go over there and hype it too, because I don't know, you know what I'm talking about. Um, and it was the 2008 blue coats drum line. Nice. And I was absolutely just, blown away i mean those dudes were so good and i think i had shown up for like the last chunk i think it was like the closer and the last part of the show is just like these giant full shots with both of their sticks and they sounded like gunshots and that was when i was like yep that's it that's where i'm going i have to i i like have to Uh, nice i was kind of gonna that was gonna be my next thing like too obviously you marched a bunch of years at blue coast. I was like, what drew you to be, to go to blue coast? Cause, or to any other core. Cause I, I was always a very much a cadet. Like I want to be a cadet. Like that's what I want to do. I want to be a cadet. That's my end game. There's some things that happen that, that <laughs> turn me off from that, but, uh, that's for another time. And it's also on sure. several other podcasts that we've done, but yeah, basically I was going to sure. ask why, why blue coats like, did, is that the first place you want to try out? Is that the only place you want to try out? Six words. Yeah, it's six words. That's why. <laughs> That's why he did it. Yeah, yeah okay. I knew what those were when I was like sixteen. No. Um. Yeah. I. So I. That was the first time I'd seen him, and I just I loved the vibe. It was just so cool. Um. And then I like went down another little rabbit hole, and then the next year, two thousand nine, I I went to the lot again, and I saw them again, and it was it was a different vibe. It was super chill. And it was really cool, and the music was super cool, and they did really cool body. Um, and I was just looking at their quad line and I was like, man, these dudes are awesome. Come to find out. I like, I remember on that quad line was like Adam Norris, Amador, uh, Amir, um, and, and, and who else? Uh, uh, and Scott Nelson. Yeah. Scott Nelson. Yeah. Yeah. And I just loved the way their hands looked. And I like figured all that's like, I like just essentially like stalked them on social media and figured out where they were from. Um, and then I knew that Scott was going to be marching Blue Devils, and that's when I like got introduced to Blue Devils for real. And I was like, "Whoa, these these dudes are cool!" And I, I was like, "Okay, great. This is the plan. I'm going to march Blue Coats for a year. Then I'm going to go to Blue Devils just like Scott did. I'm going to do exactly what Scott did because Scott's awesome, and I like his hands. And I hope he hears this because I don't think I've ever told him this story. Um, yeah. So I remember messaging him just like out of the blue. I was like, "Dude, how'd you do it?" He was like, "Man, you just got to practice." And I was like, "Okay, cool." Um. Yeah, I just stock. Like, what everybody just, tells uh, everybody. Just exactly. Just, just play accent tap. Just play a lot of accent. Accent tap, tap That's and it. rolls. That's it. Um. But, but yeah, you also look remember. like an alien when you play drums. How do you do this? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. That that was yeah. But that was pretty much the thing. I I loved the vibe. Every time I'd seen him, I was like, this feels right. This feels like the the move. Um, obviously, I never went to Blue Devils except for their international core, which was another full circle moment. But um, yeah, that's that's pretty much how that happened. 
that's awesome. So blue coats were your your first non trumpet drum corps. Yes. Well, well alliance technically, but yes. After that, I, I marched alliance for th- uh, three years, including the trumpet. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, and I I'd marched uh, 2008 and 2009 at alliance because one of the dudes who taught me how to drum, Alan, who also was running Quest and Sprayberry at the time, was also the percussion caption head at alliance. So. I literally saw him like every day for like 40 weeks. <laughs> That's pretty wild. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, from there it was Blue Coats. Nice, nice. I think that speaks a lot to um, put in your time. You've spent two summers probably just getting absolutely worked. Uh, oh, God, yeah. <laughs> as a younger percussionist slash drummer, whatever you want to call it, quad player. Um, <laughs> I think that's the lesson for most people especially like if kids are listening to this like go go drum somewhere just go drum anywhere that you can drum for an entire summer it almost i won't say doesn't completely matter but it almost doesn't matter where you go if you spend an entire summer playing drums you're gonna get pretty decent at it yeah especially if you're like trying to get better i mean my my section leader when i was at alliance was larry who had helped co-found quest and was also teaching at Sprayberry. So he just, and he, I mean, he beats the tar out of the drums. So it was like, you're going to play like me or you're going to fall off. And so that's, <laughs> yeah. As long as you're like, as long as you're drumming and just really just trying to get better, you're going to get better, you know? Yeah. Faux show, faux it's, show. It's impossible not to. You can't do something that many hours in the day and not by default get a little better at it even at least a little yeah at least a little so yeah nice yeah so did you always so you're talking about spur berry right as like spray sp spray oh spray berry like s-p-r-a okay so did you always live in like the atlanta area georgia like how did you or did you you mentioned you went to nigeria did you move from nigeria over yeah, so I moved here. Um, I moved here. I was born in Nigeria, and I moved here in '98. Um, and well, we technically moved to North Carolina. We lived in North Carolina until 2005, and then from 2005, uh, we've pretty much lived in the same place since. So yeah. Okay. So are you like, are you first generation like, over? Um, I guess technically I'm not first generation because I was born in Nigeria. I think my kids would True. be first generation. Um, uh, let's not jump the gun, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I, I, I mean, I'm technically like a natural naturalized citizen as yeah. of 2011. That's awesome. You, you had to go through that process of citizenship, right? Where you filled out, filed, take the test. Yeah, yeah. And my mom, I mean, we were too young to fill it ourselves. So my mom and dad, they filled, they applied for citizenship years before we eventually got it. And then 2011 came and it was like, hey, you got to take the test. It's going to be, you know, at the end of July or the beginning of July or something right in the middle of drum corps season. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. So I had to leave. I like missed one show. It's the only show I've ever missed. Um, And I mean, I had to go become a citizen of the United States. Was that, that super nerve wracking while you're on tour? Like I got to leave to take this test. That's going to decide if I could like, I don't know, get my citizenship, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was because 
two, God, 2011 was already such a hard year just because that, God, that show was so hard. And the previous year, I had, I had been injured. I, like, didn't really get into the show until June because, like, my knee, I, like, messed up my knee. Um, and I really just didn't want to right? leave. You hyper-extended I did. Right? I tore I tore my MCL again. Gross. So that was, Quas yeah, are was stupid gross. is the moral of the story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, they're dumb, but they're so much fun. Um, yeah, it was it, it was a little nerve-wracking because I also didn't know what the process was going to be. Um but it was actually pretty low key. We like went into this room and they we took a test. It was a very simple test. I honestly don't even remember what the questions were. Um, and then we like got the results the same day, like the same hour. And then you kind of sit in a room. <laughs> you sit in a room. This is how this is how you become naturalized. You sit in a room with like forty other people who are also taking their you know test. And then they announce that you've all passed. And then you say the Pledge of Allegiance, and then you watch a video of the American flag waving, and the soundtrack is, I'm proud to be an American. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. This is the most perfect thing. And like when I was in fourth grade, we sang that with like our school, and we had to like learn it with sign language, so... I was like sitting there signing the song because I was like, oh, you know, I'm American now. Huh? This is what we do. That's awesome. And anyway, <laughs> yeah, it was it was crazy. And then literally the next day it was like, well, back on tour. We're in Ohio now. <laughs> That's the most American thing right there, drum corps. <laughs> so exactly. Just so we don't forget about this. You mentioned a minute ago that 2011 was a super hard show. Out of 10, 11, yeah. 12, and 13, was that the most difficult show? Oh, easily. Easily. Which one was that? That was Brave New World. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, man. I remember there was a point where... I don't remember if Mike Jackson had like specifically said this or if it was just like sort of like an understood thing. We like had to eat seconds. I ate seconds for every single meal because... Yeah we were withering away <laughs> that drill <laughs> tim jackson did the he, not tim jackson tim fairbanks he had like the six foot grid and like the measuring stick is a 24 inch step which is just slightly bigger than an eight to five by an inch so, and a half by an inch and a half it, so but like naturally we ended up just doing six to fives for the entire show <laughs> and it was it was crazy that sounds God, miserable. that show was just so crazy yeah lining it was a pain and it was so it was so much. I like there was so much that happened that summer. <laughs> Any blue coat who marched that year listening to this is probably just laughing because I am ex- I'm like downplaying how how interesting I'll say and personally difficult for me that summer was. That was a very interesting um I don't, I'm trying to use the best word here. Um structure to try to adapt to the outdoor scene. Um, I've never really talked to Tim about that personally. And Tim is obviously super intelligent, but yeah. I remember we, we all heard about that. And we were just like, wow, they're using the six by six grid on the football field. That's in sets of 15 feet. Well, uh, you know, it was actually, it actually made logical sense because, Oh, I'm sure your it did. dot would be your dot would be like, if you were three off or two off, like every one was just like a foot 
So your dot would either be like on a yard line or in between like those ticks in between yard lines. So it like made sense. I just, I, I don't know that it was like, I don't know. I don't know that it was like worth changing anything. Yeah. <laughs> just cause like everybody you know. in the core already knew the other system, but I, I didn't, I never doubted that it didn't make a ton of sense because Tim would never do it if it didn't make logical sense. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it just, it was like, great. And of course, Tim Jackson explained it with his math degree. Um, and I was like, great, this is like perfect. I understand everything you're saying. I still can't hit that dot, but I'm getting there. <laughs> Tim is Tim's Jackson's brain works in a way that I, mine will never work in. We were talking about grids one day and he had come up with like a grid, like a literal grid that talked, that was like put all the different grids that you could do in a location based on the hand pressures that you were using to have to achieve them. And I was like, this is just too much. That's amazing. (laughs) And uh, yeah. So to go to opposite end of the spectrum, you said 2011 was your toughest summer out of those Mm -hmm. four, which did you feel was your easiest summer? 12. 12 was so easy. (laughs) I can, I can answer for him. 12 was, I'm not joking. So Anya and Evan, you obviously know this too. That first full run you do in spring training, <laughs> typically you get to the end of it and you're like blowing air. Like, yeah, you're hurting, your legs are burning, your lungs are t- like, you can't breathe. Like, it's tough. We did our first full run, I think, like the beginning of the third week of spring training, and we got done, and the battery just kind of like looked at each other and just went, This is going to be an awesome summer. Yeah. Oh man, the drill was so. The drill, especially for the battery, was easy. Yeah, it just was, man. Gosh, because I, it takes me back to like 2011. There was a there was a drill move. They called it Mount Doom, and it was where the snare line plays that extremely long triplet roll. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And all we do there is essentially crab at a six to five from one end of the field to the other, and the horn line has like choreography, but they don't really move. So I remember we just repped Mount Doom for an entire block, and it was essentially just the snare line playing this role and us marching like 40 yards to the left over and and over and over again. Running back and reset. Exactly. And then like 12 was like, great, my dots. Oh, there it is. Oh, and I'm there. Here we go. (laughs) Nice. And that was also a pretty sweet show too. So sweet book. It was. Yeah, it was. And um, those, man, everybody on that line was just, a rock star. Yeah, the quad line that year was like you and Ruel and um, Daniel Recoder. Daniel, yeah, Bow. yeah, solid. Gosh, that that whole drum line was just. It was just. It was. There was such a comfort, like just such a. Oh, this is going to be good, and it's good. Yeah, yeah. It, there was. There weren't really any weak links in that entire yeah. battery. There wasn't any one of us that was struggling at to hold on or that kind of thing. We all kind of got it. Now we all obviously had parts of the show, at least me that I messed up more than other parts. But if you watch the videos of of that stuff, I mean, you don't get that good. If you not to toot our own horns, but we were good and you don't get like that. (laughs) If you have weak links, you just don't. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. It was pretty surreal. And I almost, I almost wasn't a part of that. 
Wait, what? Yeah, I don't know if you know this, Mike, or anybody, but I got asked to be the drum major that year. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Super glad it went to Willie because he's just awesome. Um, but yeah, it, <laughs> it was one of those crazy, like, so essentially what happened was, um, so the, 2011 was, you know, whatever for however many reasons. Um, in 2012, I remember this so vividly because Mike Jackson to me at the time was just a scary man. Uh, <sighs> and I remember he called me. He is extremely intimidating. He called me and was like, he left me a message. He was like, Anya, what's up, man? It's Mike. Call me back. I got something important to talk to you about. And I'm like, oh, God, he's going to cut me. He's going to cut <laughs> me. This is it. I don't know why, but he is. <laughs> this is just what it is. Um, and Mike loves, he does this thing where he has like small talk <laughs> before he like gets into the business. So I remember I got home and I like got into my basement and like shut the door and I was like, all right, here we go. I called Mike and I was like, what's up, Mike? He's like, Anya, how you doing, man? How's school? And I'm like, oh God, it's good. What's going on? Like, like what's happening? Um, and he presents it with, all right, Anya, I need you to keep an extremely open mind about what I'm about to tell you. And in my head, I'm like, he's going to cut me. This is it. My suspicions were correct. He's like, you know, we, we've talked about this with the percussion staff. Um, we've, I've also spoken to the admin about it. And I think this would just be probably one of the better things that could happen for the drum corps as a whole. And I'm like, whoa, this is for real it. Okay. Well, they're not going to go. cut you. I can't. You did not actually believe that. I, I 100 I 100 percent believe that. I like I, I hoped it wasn't that. But I was like, ah, well, this might be it. And then he says, how would you like to be the drum major for the blue coats? <laughs> and I think I couldn't breathe for like a second. I thought this was a joke. Yeah, he like, like asked me. Yeah, what a complete juxtaposition of what you're probably thinking is happening in your brain versus what the words that just came out of his mouth. He's going to cut Dude. me. Do you want to be the leader of the group? God, it was crazy. And I was so flattered because he like went on and was like, you know, we just really need somebody who like embodies what a blue coat is, like all these things that I was just like honestly like kind of self-conscious about, especially like considering like the previous year, I like didn't feel like I was that good of a leader in 11, especially because I was one of the youngest dudes on the quad line and everybody on the quad line was like better than me, I thought, and just had more experience. And like Austin Rico had already been the section leader at Madison Scouts and like all these things. And like Efren had like marched BDB. I was like, oh man, I don't know like what I'm doing here. Um, so I was really self-conscious in 2011. And so to hear him ask me that was completely completely out of the blue um he had also asked Haley burks who who took the position um but yeah it was just that was just like a crazy just like a crazy little aside i un honestly at the end of the day i just like really wanted to drum and yeah well that i was, think you made the right it. choice it worked out <laughs> Haley and i think it was dave Haley and dave were the two drum majors and that worked out oh, that's well right that's and, right that's right yeah and uh and then you got to be in a fun drum line. Definitely. Definitely. Some, it was cool. Sometimes you just want to drum. That's why I auditioned at Blue Coast in 2011. Has there ever been a drum line member of a drum corps go on to then be drum major? I feel like none of us would want to. We just want to drum. I feel like, yeah, I feel like that's exactly. I'm sure, like, logically, I'm sure there has been. 
because it makes sense. We have the drum major timing. and like the drum line. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, you have to be able sense. to communicate. But I think I don't know that anybody's really done it. I don't. You know? Obviously, I've not. Thought if, li- if anybody's listening and knows of a drumline member that's been a drum major, please let us know. <laughs> yeah, throw it in the comment yes. section on the YouTube video or email it to us. Aged out podcast. That'll be the next podcast. <laughs> that's yeah. right. We're gonna find that dude and be like, all right, here we go. Why did you do this? <laughs> but uh, yeah. <laughs> That's so where do you want to go next? What's next on the list, Evan? Next on the list? Uh, well, just kind of brief. We we glossed over it, but I do think it's funny that you got to taste the sweet nectar of holding a light snare drum, but then ended up still marching quads. So. <laughs> yeah. So. Snare was e- not easy. Snare, man, the, more, the older that I get and the more that I teach, the more I realize how difficult it is to be on a snare line. Your ears have to be phenomenal. Like, and that surface is so unforgiving. That's true. I don't know. Especially just, nowadays. Just, yeah. Especially the way some people tune their drums nowadays, but that's a topic for another. <laughs> for another, another, another time. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, well, anyway, those drums, I saw Boston drum at PASIC. They posted videos, and I was like, man, these dudes are still drumming. I, I probably wouldn't be able to play that book after I got done with tour, but... Those dudes were so good this summer. Yeah, they were really good. Uh, wow. But anyway, I mean, I guess that kind of took us through your drumming career and all of that, and now you've kind of done what all of us do, find a niche to get into after that, and you've gotten into the acting gig, and... You got your own IMDb page, so you made it. You made it in there. <laughs> but uh, have you always wanted to like get into acting, or like how did that come about? Man, so um, I don't know. I think I've always wanted to be a performer in in in, in any aspect. Um, and like, and <clears throat> end of 2014 was like particularly difficult for me, just because. I had just graduated with my undergrad and my mom is awesome. She paid for my brother, my sister and I for our first degrees. And I got my degree in psychology, which is a great degree if you don't want to make money. <laughs> um, I wasn't going to say it. Oh, no, it's fine. I will totally say it. And I think anybody who has a degree in psychology will also say it because there are definitely like ways that you can. But generally speaking, it's like not the easiest thing to be extremely lucrative if that's like the only qualification that you have um and it like really hit me that like the whole thing for her was like a a typical nigerian parent you know tends to be extremely conservative and my mom is to an extent but she's also really liberal she all she wants is for us to be qualified at the end of the day she just wants us to wants us to have the credentials so that we can do whatever it is that we want to do afterwards which is why you hear Traditionally, well, you got to be a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer because those people always have jobs. Um, but I got my degree in psychology, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do after that. Um, hadn't like gotten into grad school yet. Um, I had just been teaching at Blue Knights, um, and I wasn't going to be teaching there anymore. So there were just like a lot of things. I was like, man, this is weird. Um, and so, 2015 came about, and like Blue Devils International happened essentially and right before we went on tour my brother who is also an actor at this point um he got his degree in neuroscience because he's smart um he (laughs) 
he was doing extra work at the time and he was like hey you know there's this thing they they they're looking for african americans you know they're looking for a lot of them to be shooting in atlanta you should just submit you know they're looking for africans specifically if you have like any sort of you know uh wardrobe from nigeria <clears throat> and so we submitted and they were like yeah we want you we want to hire you for five days and Excuse me. My brother and I, we went down to Pinewood Studios to fit to get our fitting, and we were signing an NDA. And at the time, we thought we were doing a production called Sputnik, or at least I thought. I didn't know. I think my brother knew the whole time. Turns out, it was Captain America: Civil War. What? And I was like, whoa, yeah. I was like, oh, we're we're about to be extras in Captain America. That's dope. Um. So, so. Then they put out a call for people who are fluent in a Nigerian language. And my brother and I are not fluent, but we could finesse like we were fluent. Yeah. <laughs> so we submitted uh, and they called us into audition. We you know, picked my brother up immediately. We like stayed up all night preparing essentially just like the skit. And we went to the audition the next day and the lady was like, yeah, we like you. Uh, we'll be in touch. Um, they had auditioned like maybe like 10 people. Um, later on that day, they call, they say, hey, so it's between you and your brother and these two people from, I think, Cameroon. It was another African country. I couldn't remember. Um, so we'll let you guys know as soon as possible. And I think like a few days later, it was like maybe a day or two before the shoot, they said, hey, it's going to go to those other guys. But, you know, thank you guys. Um, and so yeah. I'm on the way to... If anybody's ever done extra work, it's very not glamorous. You essentially get treated like cattle. It's like great. And they call it like background, like being a background artist, which is in itself, yes, correct, because nothing would look good unless they had the background. But it's probably the least glamorous thing you can do on a set. Um, and anyway, so I'm driving to the set and, you know, super hype. We're going to be in Captain America. And my brother calls me and he says, yo, those guys can't work legally in the States. The directors are looking for us. I was like, whoa, okay, 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 okay. Um, <laughs> so I get to the set and the casting director, somebody's like, hey, we're looking for the Emmy Aquari brothers. And just imagine, because this was like the first scene, one of the first scenes of the movie where it's set in like a Nigerian market. There's hundreds of extras so my brother and I just felt so important because we were like, yeah, excuse us. We are, we're, we're being called. <laughs> um, <laughs> so then we did another audition and it was me and my brother. We kind of did the same little thing that we did. And then two guys who spoke the same language that we did very, very fluently. <laughs> so they knew that we were finessing. They, they knew. Um, but they were cool. They were super cool. So we did it, um, and then we got called to the set, and we meet Joe and Anthony Russo, and Sick. they're like, great. yeah, it was crazy. It was all this is insane. So they're like, okay, great. So Anya, you and my brother's name is OK, by the way. Yeah, OK. <laughs> you and OK go over there, and I want you guys to improvise a scene in your language um, where you're arguing about, you know, cleaning up a table because we're supposed to be busboys. And so we do it. It's fine. The other guys are watching. And then they come up and they do it. I know this is like a long story, but it's, I just think no, it's so it's funny. No, it's good. <laughs> they come up and they do it and they just 
murder this scene. It's it's amazing. It's incredible. I mean, my brother and I look at each other. We're like, they got it. It's fine. They got it. They got it. Um, <laughs> so they ended up getting that part, but the director still really liked us. So they put us in the scene. And even now in the final cut of the movie, the original cut was supposed to be, it pans over the cafe and you see these two bus boys arguing, pans over the tables and my brother and I are sitting at a table with some other people and I'm like telling the story and then it pans over to like Scarlett Johansson who was like within arm's reach. Like it was crazy. Mm, I was, nice. it was all this. It was insane. And like Jeez. Elizabeth Olsen's looking at me and she's like smiling. I'm like falling in love for some reason. <laughs> it was insane. She like, it was all these crazy things. Um, long story short i didn't know as an extra that you're not supposed to talk to the director and you're not supposed to be directed and you're not supposed to be miked and all of those three things happened to me and when that happens you get what's called taft heart lead um and that essentially means that you get upgraded from being a background to being a principal and the pay is completely different background you get paid about eight dollars maybe 850 an hour and principal you get paid about 325 dollars an hour what yeah 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 so (laughs) i didn't know any of that so i obviously didn't get upgraded and that's something that i found out later and i was like man after the whole experience it was like this is fun i'm gonna go to europe and like figure out my life hopefully i get into this grad school that i'm applying to and out of the blue completely out of the blue this guy that i went to school with undergrad messages me i haven't spoken to him in literally literally years and he just got, he just says, I don't know what it is, man, but there's just something that's telling me that you need to try acting. And I, I, I don't know if I don't know if you, either of you are religious. I, I'm a Christian. And I just like looked up and I was like, all right, dude, I hear you. I hear you. I got it. I'm, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try yeah, this, this thing. This is a clear sign. Exactly. So went to Europe and marched with this guy named Nick Oroko, who... I told him that I wanted to be an actor, and so anybody he introduced me to, he introduced me as an actor, which was weird, but I really, really needed that because then that fall when I got back was like when I first like seriously started training and I started taking classes, um, private coaching, and I just hit the ground running as hard as I could. Um, yeah, it was it was crazy. I had gotten into grad school. I know I'm just like talking. (laughs) I had gotten into grad school and it was a two-year program and it was here in Atlanta. And this is is one of the other signs. This school that I had gotten into, UGA, I got into like their, their master's program and they didn't finish accepting applications until April 15th. Now I had already gotten into a school in Florida and I needed to tell them by April 14th, whether I was going to be going there. So what I essentially said, ironic setup, right? <laughs> so I essentially was like, I'm going to say no to this school and hopefully try to do UGA because that would allow me to pursue acting for at least two years. And if it didn't work, I had my master's and I can move on with my life. Um, and so I found out that I got waitlisted for the school, actually, which was like, oh, okay, okay, all right, I don't know, let's see, let's see. Um, eventually got in, and so my whole thing was great. If in these two years when I'm doing this program, this acting thing like doesn't work, which looking back is one of the most naive things you can do because 
things don't happen for a long time for a lot of extremely talented people. Um, but in my head, I was like, this is it. I'm going to try this. And if it doesn't work, I'm moving on. And I obviously have not moved on. <laughs> so that's, that's pretty much how I like really, really got into it. That's cool, man. Um, obviously you have so much experience performing with drumming. Do you feel like that sort of pressure or I guess you have to perform under pressure in those situations, whether it's indoor drum line, outdoor drum line, there's a judge in your face. You got you have to be able to do that. Do you feel like those sort of skill sets and like memorizing music and reciting over and over and developing that muscle memory with your hands and now with acting with your uh, mannerisms and your expressions and stuff like kind of bleed together? Oh, that's a great question. Um, yes and no. Yes, in the sense that the work ethic of of learning a show and essentially perfecting it definitely does translate to the work ethic that you have to have to be an actor. Um, no, in the sense that drumming and like doing a show, you, you like you essentially you want to be able to do everything the same. You want to be as consistent as possible, so that if you're playing with somebody else, they can also be consistent, and you can always sound good. With acting, it's so the opposite. It's so the opposite of that. Um, it's <laughs> acting on like a film set or a TV set is one of the most unnatural things you can do because you're essentially told to be a human being but they're like there's like hundreds of thousands of dollars of like equipment staring you in the face you know and and it's such it's such like an unnatural place to be a human so you have to work as an actor really hard to be as truthful as possible which at the end of the day is literally just like it sounds so simple but it's like one of the harder things that you can do. And there are people who just do it and are like extremely natural. But most people in the world, if you point a camera at them and say, be yourself, you forget your name. Oh, you dude, know? I, <laughs> I totally sense. get that. I mean, even with just having microphones in our face doing this podcast, it took, I know for me, it took me a little while to get used to it before I was completely acting like I was sitting right across from the person and the microphone and the computer weren't even there. So I could a hundred percent see how that would be the case. And yeah, magnified it, with a camera. Yeah. With a video magnified camera. by exactly. a million. Cause you're being video recorded instead of just your voice. Yeah. And the thing is, man, with the camera, one of the, one of the coolest bits of advice I think I've ever heard was on a, uh, it was, I was listening to Sterling K Brown talk. And he's got, I love him so much, he's one of my role models. And he said, you know, when you're acting, what you really want to do is think thoughts clearly and loudly enough. And if you do that, like, loudly and clearly enough, it'll show up on your face. And the amount of relaxation you have to have with your body to allow something to happen on your face or just in your body or in the way that you say any line is so, so, so much. Like when you learn lines, it's not like learning music because with music, you learn shaping. If you're marching quads, you learn around. If you're marching bass drum, you're learning, you know, different counts, you know, any, any other instrument, like you're learning essentially what it needs to be. But like one of the best things you can do when you're learning lines as an actor 
is to look at the words and take away all punctuation and literally just memorize the words so that on the day when you're on stage or you're in front of a camera, you, you can just, if you've prepared the script in the way that you know you need to, emotional preparation, understanding like what's happening in the scene, who you are, what your relationship is with the person that you're talking to, if there's even anybody there, you know, what your intention is behind every single line, every single word. Once you've like prepared all those things, you just completely let them go. And you hope, you hope that when you are saying these words that you've memorized front and back, you hope they show up. And that is the secret to quote unquote, the secret. That's like the method to being natural because once you've let go of all the work that you've done, hopefully what happens when you are on a stage or if you're, you know, being filmed is that you say these words and they mean something to you and you're so relaxed that you allow these words or your partner, especially your partner, to affect you. And that's what shows up, right? One of the coolest things, uh, the, the studio that I train at right now, the Robert, Me Robert Mello studio, it's like... You, we train at a 10 at like as much as you can, like give as much as you can always so that when you show up at an audition, you, you pray for a six, you pray for a six. If, if you get a seven, you're good. But like, hopefully you get like a five or a six, which is like, it sounds so crazy. And I'm like getting chills thinking about it. But like, these are all, <laughs> this is what acting is. People think, you know, you, you wake up. This is the only profession where people can wake up and be like, I'm going to do this now, which granted people can do that, <laughs> but you can't like, you can't like wake up and be like, I'm a brain surgeon. Here we go. And surgery, you know, it takes so much effort, like training in school. And I, and I think acting is exactly the same thing. So to go back to your original question, long winded answer. Yeah. The, the work ethic of like putting in the years and putting in the time you put in that same work ethic just in a different way and you, you know, express yourself just through a different medium. That and makes I, sense. Yeah. No, I, yeah. Especially when you hearing you say it, um, just comparatively drums and what we do and the drumming activities is very mechanical and it's very much pattern like, and it's mm -hmm. very defined and what you, way you're describing this is obviously just much more of an organic experience. Yeah. Definitely. And, and like, the thing is, I haven't really done much theater. And I really, really want to. The cool thing about theater is that you have a lot of the same things as you would have in an indoor show, right? There's obviously like blocking, you know, this is where you need to be by when you say this word and this and this and this and all these things that you like, these are all the things that you have to hit. But just like performing in like WGI or DCI, it's like, well, great. So what is, what, what am like, what, why am I doing the thing that I'm doing right now? You know, you hear that like cliche, well, what's my motivation? It, you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you're drunk, I'm sure, you know, especially with us now, we can see kids who are like, they're just bobbing their heads to the music. They're like, not really like understanding what's happening. They're just kind of quote unquote performing. Yeah. Yeah. And you can see people who are like organically are feeling what's happening to them. Those people are so good because they've, taken the mechanics and they've taken all like the blocking and the drill and they've made all of it feel organic and that's when like truth can come out and anybody who can anybody who has performed at a high level for the most part 
can spot the difference immediately between truth and like something that's contrived. And it's the same thing with acting. I mean, there's you can spot the difference between somebody who's like giving you a line reading and is quote unquote schmacting and somebody who's like living in that moment at at that particular time. Oh yeah. We've we've all for sure seen fake, the fake drum hype. bass. The fake hype. Oh god, yes. The fake like lot performing that just looks so unnatural and awkward and not real and then you're right yeah. you can tell when you when you see those performers in indoor groups and drum corps and whatever that they are embodying it like that's just natural for them they don't have to force mm-hmm. it and it's a big difference it is a huge difference yeah so it's and and you know a camera will catch that if you if a camera can look at you if a camera can point at you and see if you're thinking anything then it can definitely see if you're like putting on a face. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome, man. Now, dude, I wanted to hear you talk about the the acting stuff a little bit. Um, and obviously the, just hearing you articulate the things that you're going through, it's like obviously very clear that this is something you're passionate about and that you're sinking into, which is, which is awesome. Thanks, man. I really appreciate that. I, <laughs> I, have so much still to learn that, that I think that's the most exciting part about all of it. I like I'm saying all these things out loud is cool, but I'm like, ah, there's still so many things. Yeah. I have to learn. You're never done. You're never done well, that's, getting better. Yeah, I mean that's great. If you were like obviously the goal is to get better and better and better. The the old adage if you're not growing, you're dying. So I always say that. Yeah. Yep. Well that's a good one. I need that. I'm gonna say that from now on. There you go. <laughs> so we've been going for coming up on an hour now there's one last topic i want to get to to kind of 180 back to back to drum corps and <laughs> drumming and everything to, to sure. wrap this up i feel like the midwest is at a at a deficit has a deficit of good quad players interesting as as somebody that has taught quads marched quads at a high level is from this part of the country you know the midwest kentucky tennessee georgia ohio that kind of basically the eastern half of the country uh do you think that because i feel like every season i see these indoor groups that are not bottom of the barrel indoor groups advertising like hey still need two quad players or have a quad hole to fill if you know anybody or do you feel like right. there's a discrepancy or a deficiency in that area? Are less kids getting into it? Is it just a matter of it's really hard? Hmm. Um, you were kind of breaking up on the last part of that. Uh, can you repeat the last part of that? Um, do you feel like, basically in a nutshell, do you feel like there's not only a deficit on this half of the country compared to the other half? And if there is, why do you think that might be the case? Well, that is, that's a great question. Um, I'll say this. I think talking to quad players, generally speaking, quad playing is just not really the same as it used to be, which is crazy to say out loud. <laughs> um, I've said it out loud a lot, but like I'm really thinking about what I'm saying. It just doesn't feel... Okay, I'll say it like this. So, Jeremy Summers, I think, is probably one of the biggest catalysts in modern-day quad drumming, 
which is like a pretty big claim. But this is why I say that. So Jeremy, Jeremy marched, uh, he marched RCC from like 2006, I believe was his first year, 2006 until 2010. And he was also the, the, one of the Quatex at Bluecoats in 2012 uh, and 13. And he taught at La Quinta High School. And With he taught Scott and yeah, Nick. And- Scott, Nick, uh, you know, Amador was in that crew. Like, it's just like, essentially, I, and I've always said this, I, I also think his hands are perfect. Uh, I think Jeremy is like the reason why, like, between like 2008 and like 2014, I think he's like, at the end of the day, like the reason why so many quad players were so good. Because he taught all those dudes, and all those dudes got really, really, really good. And then all of those dudes taught a bunch of other people. Like, I learned from Scott and Jeremy. Like, you, you know what I'm saying? So, so the, the, the reality is that a lot of those dudes just, like, aren't teaching anymore, you know? And... I I taught with um, I taught with Veronica Veronica Wicks at Blue Knights, and she is probably by far one of the best educators that I've ever had the pleasure of teaching with. Because when she was teaching, I was also learning. Um, and then past that, as far as like people who are like in the game right now, I like don't really know a lot of people um, who are teaching just because I'm a little bit more removed from the activity, but. It just feels like there is sort of like a shift. There's there has definitely been a shift, I think, in quad talent, maybe quad instruction. And it's not necessarily to say that the quad instruction now is bad because that's like not the case whatsoever. Um, it's just different. Um, I think a lot of it also is that show designs are different. You know, you look at. I, I think to this day the best quad moment. Of all time, of all time, I think in WGI specifically is uh, can I 2009. Guess? Go ahead. Oh, go I knew you're, you're gonna. I, well, now you said 2009 for uh, sure. The to, the totem, like yes. everything they played. To this day, I think that is like that last solo. I think to this day is probably like front to back, top to bottom, like the best quad moment that has ever happened. And the I don't think anybody's ever head, topped it. Even the everything. broken the broken three head was it the three head? It was the three head, yeah. yeah. He just perfect still stroked head. it out, even though it's completely busted. I was like, "How did he do this?" Because he has he has perfect hands. <laughs> I, I I I like once my students get to that point, I teach them in that solo because from that solo, I learned so much about writing, like different patterns, the way that you move around the drums. Like I learned a lot about writing just from watching that solo and like playing that solo and learning it. And then solos after that and previous things and obviously things that we played at Bluecoats. So I'll say that like the way that I teach at Atlanta Quest is definitely reminiscent of the things that I learned from like Jeremy, who, you know, he had his influences as well from like Sean Vega, Tim Jackson, like all those guys. Um, And I guess what I'm saying right now is that what felt like there was a humongous, um, just pool of that specific talent, that specific type of drumming um, isn't as wide as it used to be. And I think especially like mid to late, like mid 2000s, early, essentially the 2000s, all those West Coast quad lines were just like so good. They were just, and those were like 
nobody was playing anything like they were playing, you know, and maybe that's just like my, my lack of experience. And I haven't done enough research with things that were happening on the East coast during that time. But like to this day, like that's like, I think what paved the way to what was the Mecca of quad drumming for a long time. Um, and now like just a lot of those dudes just like aren't in the game anymore, you know? Yeah. When I go back and watch like those 2006, 2005, Blue Devils, like 2009, 2008, RCC. I'm just like, they make it look so effortless and smooth, but it just, I know it's so hard. <laughs> it, 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 like what it, they're playing. You know, is, <laughs> it is, man. And like so much of what I learned, a lot of what I learned from Jeremy was just like being efficient. Because quads are dumb. They're so stupid. They're heavy. Why, why would you want to do that? <laughs> why would you try any harder than you need to, to be successful so like one thing that i preach is like you got to be as efficient as possible you can't try too hard to do this thing otherwise you're gonna fail you know and that i don't know that that that's helped a lot um but yeah i just there there aren't enough of people there aren't enough people who come from that school of drumming that are still teaching right now and or are teaching groups you know that everybody's seeing you know, in, in drum corps, in WGI, um, which again, isn't to say that there isn't quad talent. It's just like different and show design doesn't require these awesome quad solos to happen as much as they used to, you know, writing isn't the same. There's just so much that has changed over the last couple of years that I think has been related. You know, I don't think that the way that drumming has happened for quad players is unrelated to the way that things have changed over the last few years, just generally speaking in the activities. So to answer not- your question, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it a lot of factors. Yeah. It, it's then, a lot of factors. Yeah. You mentioned the writing has changed, the show design has changed and everything. Mm-hmm. It's almost, to me, poses itself as a chicken or the egg, which came first question. Did the writing yeah. and everything adapt because the talent pool decreased or did it naturally happen, which then maybe caused the talent pool to decrease? I don't know. Oh yeah. That's a, that's, that's, that is, that's a good one. I, <laughs> I don't know that there is an answer to yeah, that. I don't, I don't unfortunately. think I don't think we'll know. I don't think there's a way to know, honestly. And I'm not but really sure. Crazy much, snare but. talent. Yeah. There's a, I feel like the average level of snare lines has definitely risen across the board in WGI oh, and yeah. DCI. And I think bass and lines are just, the same thing. Yeah, definitely. And people are just getting so good so young. Yeah. I just, it's, it's crazy. It's yeah, crazy. It's, it's crazy. You see like these high school bass drummers come out like playing hand-to-hands. You're like, what? I think that might right. also stem from a plethora of resources for them to learn from that frankly guys our age and older didn't really have when we were learning we were basically just who is our high school instructor if we are lucky enough to go to a high school that has a good um, talented well-spoken instructor we have a shot of getting there but if you happen to go to a high school that just didn't have a good instructor the resources really were never there because the internet wasn't developed enough at that point to get us there on our own yeah agreed completely agreed that's i think youtube has been youtube is a lot of people's teachers and man it's so unfortunate 
because again, there are these people who like have all this knowledge who just aren't teaching. And granted, you know, you, we all have lives. Well, that's it a money sucks. problem. The reason people don't that, stay in it is the true. money's not there. You can't you can't support a family if you want to go that route, teaching drum corps and teaching high well, school band. Yeah, yeah, we could get into that one too, but that's a that's a pretty <laughs> long winded yeah. one. Uh, but <laughs> I think probably one of the one of the more heartbreaking things is like, God, I had this one student. He had the best attitude. Literally, like, I wish everybody in the world was like this kid, and he he like was good and he always got better but if he had like maybe a year more to like march he would have definitely been in there but like i it was just it was just like too late you know and it was it's really unfortunate because i really wanted that for him and i'm sure he wanted it for himself but i know that if i have a student who like could be good but like just didn't start out with the right basics at the beginning I'm sure there's hundreds of kids, maybe even thousands across the country who are experiencing the same thing, you know? Very, very true. Definitely. It's never fun to have to, to break a bunch of bad habits. And sometimes people have bad habits from their younger years and poor instruction that it's too ingrained. And no matter how good of a teacher you are and how good they work at it, they can't overcome some of them, unfortunately. That's why, like, when I yeah. teach kids to play snare drum and traditional grip, I much prefer a kid that's a blank slate than someone that's, like, had sticks in their hand trying to figure it out on their own, watch videos. Right. I, those kids are way harder to teach and get to where you want – or it takes them longer, more than likely, to get to where they want to go than the kids that come yeah. in knowing nothing. Yeah. And it's crazy, too. Being a teacher – and I, I also teach at a high school – and maybe I'm I just don't have a wide enough scope, but it just feels like a lot of people just don't work hard like as hard as they used to. And I sound like an old fart saying this, but I've like done a lot of research. We have phones, we have so many ways to get instant gratification, and we get used to that in our heads, you know? And so if you have a kid who is used to getting instant gratification. If if you're naturally talented, sure, you might be able to get somewhere, but if you have to work at something, so much of teaching now for me is like, you have to work. You just, we got to work. We're going to do reps. We're going to do a lot of reps because you're not going to get it immediately. And that's just like- We got chopped out. <laughs> exactly. That's like the reality of it. This isn't going to be like everything else that has come to you quickly because of technology. And I think, you know, it's possible, especially for quads, it's possible that people like maybe don't work as hard as they used to simply because, you know, they it does they, they don't feel like they have to. They don't feel like they have to, or they haven't been like exposed to like working hard or even just being outside. <laughs> I mean, I remember my mom used to like lock us out of the house and like we drank out of the hose, we came in for meals, but that was it. That's not a thing anymore. <laughs> no, it definitely isn't. Well, so Anya, it's been a pleasure. I hadn't talked yeah, to man. you in probably a couple of years. It's been a it's while. It's been a while, man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap this one up. So thanks. Awesome. Hey, thanks for joining thank us. Thank you, guys. Yeah. We yeah, really man, appreciate for it. sure. This has been awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Yep. Hopefully, we can catch up soon and uh, not just uh, during our 
annual Chick Fil Raising Cane stops on the way out to Debbie. Raising yeah. Canes. You gotta invite me to the next one. I'll drive down. To I invited you to the time. last one, but you didn't come. So, oh. Oh, sorry. Oh well. I'll come next time. Ooh. Uh, well, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, like usual, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, on Podbean. Uh, like the Facebook page. Follow us on Instagram to make sure you get all the updates. We are still uh, working on iTunes. I'm almost done with graduate school, so I will get back on that horse to get that figured out. That's going to happen before the end of this year. So <laughs> unless anybody else has anything, uh, we'll just see everybody in a couple weeks. Peace. Yeah.